Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, I want to clean something up from yesterday. Uh, off the top of my head, I was trying to think of speech and debate, and I referenced the wrong white male playwright who had a show nominated for a Tony for best play in the last few years. I said Lucas Hanath is actually Stephen Karam. Uh, I apologize. You, you heard how I struggled to come up with speech and debate. Um, I obviously struggled so much with the playwright's name that I got it wrong. Um, but I was at least in the same ballpark. At least I didn't say like Lorraine Hansberry or something wrote wrote a mm. speech and debate. You know, that would have been completely wrong. Well, uh, you, you said it with such uh, conviction that I believed you. Uh, well, that's literally one of the biggest lessons my father ever told me was say it with conviction and they'll believe anything you tell them. It's it really is a wonder why I'm not like really in sales, because if that lesson had actually sunk in, I probably would be making a lot more money than I am now. There's one example of a man who's a fucking idiot who says it with conviction, who's <sighs> leading this world. Anyway. Say it with conviction with me. The Public Theater announces its 2018 Shakespearean... Oh, Shakespeare in the Park season. <laughs> you kind of like the combined words there. A yes, I did. Amalgamation. Anyway, but yes, yesterday, Oscar Eustace and the Public Theater announced the slate for their 56th annual Summer of Free Theater in Central Park. Later this year, Shakespeare in the Park will include two shows, including one that is something of a revival. Leading off the summer will be a production of the tragedy Othello, which, despite reports to the contrary by a world-famous historian, is actually about race and racism. Uh, that'll be directed by the great Tony-winning director Ruben Santiago Hudson. The show will run from May 29th through June 24th. No casting has been announced yet, but James, I would assume that there will be more than a handful of major names involved with that one, as there often are in Shakespeare in the Park productions. The second and final show of the summer will be a reimagined return production of last summer's Public Works musical adaptation of Twelfth Night. If you're unfamiliar with Public Works, it's where they take a small handful of equity actors and bring um, local community organizations from all five boroughs together to create the ensemble for some sort of Shakespeare-related musical. Uh, this one, this Twelfth Night, was conceived by Kwame Kwe Arma and Shayna Taub. Taub wrote the music and lyrics, and Kwe Arma and Oscar Eustace will direct it this summer. As it did last year, Tony winner Nikki M. James, our friend Andrew Kober, Jacob Ming, Trent, and Taub will all return as members of the cast for this production. A fifth equity actor will join the company, along with this time two rotating ensembles of community members from all five boroughs, because instead of just Two performances, I think, is what they did uh, last year. This one will run at the Delacorte Theater from July 17th through August 19th. As I said, both shows will take place in Central Park at the Delacorte. And tickets are free unless you decide you want to make a contribution to the public theater and get the tickets uh, without having to stand in line, which is probably – I think they only ask for like 50 bucks, right, James? Like it's not a bad deal to, to not have to stand in line out in the sweltering New York summer heat. But – James, we've talked about the public works over the years and, and what a great program it is. And after the rave reviews of last year's Twelfth Night, I really love that they've decided to do this as a full, you know, a full run. I mean, that way so many more people can see it and so many more people from the community can participate in it. That is the way to generate uh, a pipeline of new young artists to come to New York and, um, and become Broadway actors. I love it. I think it's great. 
uh, you know, take a little cue from the uh, Major League Baseball farm system. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, even not just like the minor leagues, but Major League Baseball invests heavily in youth baseball and softball programs so that not only is it generating its next generation of talent for on the field, but it's also generating its next generation of fans in the stands. So I don't know that this is necessarily I don't think they're saying, man, I want all of these kids who are involved to be theater fans. But I think it is something in a similar vein, and they're doing a really great job to bring high quality theater, especially Shakespeare, to as many people around New York City as possible. We talk so much sport ball, and sometimes our <laughs> listeners get a little crazy about that. But maybe we can combine a Super Bowl box into uh, maybe we'll be, create a ten by ten grid, and we'll figure out who can uh, who can play Othello. You know, we'll sell oh, sell boxes good. for. Would you do it by like initials? Because like in boxes, it's like you have a number across the y axis, a number across the x axis, and wherever it meets on a certain quarter. That's what it is. So would it be like A through Z on the X, no, A through no, Z on I, the Y? I would do ten by ten. You know, one through t- one through or zero through nine on the top, and zero through nine on the side, and then randomize put a you know one in each a name in each box. Randomly put a name in each box, and you know people buy the box before the names go in, and I'll end up with like you know for Othello, I'll end up with like Jesse Tyler Ferguson. <laughs> uh, that that would be interesting, but of course, if we don't get the correct name on the uh, on, on the ten by ten sheet, then all bets go to the house, and the house wins, and I will be playing the house <laughs> in this game. <laughs> you know who else plays the house? Um, the Weislers. The Schuberts, the Needlelanders, and the Jujamsons. <laughs> yes, so last do. last week's Broadway grosses, how'd we do? Uh, it was another down week for the Broadway grosses, as you know, it was pretty much expected when you get into the mid uh, mid January mm-hmm. slump. But the box office box office took more than a five million dollar hit to come in at twenty seven million six hundred eighty four thousand two hundred thirty four dollars, nearly sixteen percent less than the previous week. Now, in fairness, the previous week did include Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Miss Saigon, which closed on the Sunday before this uh, this frame on the calendar uh, started. So it was a little bit of a difference in terms of the number of performances and shows playing available. But another show kind of ate into that in a little bit. We'll talk about that. But the big story of the grosses this week and why I mentioned the Weislers is the massive increase that happened with Sarah Bareilles' return to the to Waitress at the Brooks Atkinson Theater. With the dynamic duo of Bareilles and Jason Mraz, they saw a $544,548 increase in the grosses to take them up to $1.61 million. And get this, the highest total in the show's Broadway run of nearly two years, and it was the highest by more than $150,000 in its previous high happened just in the final week of 2017. While they aren't leaving together, they have different you know, final performance dates, at least as of now, both Mraz and, and Borellis will depart in the nearish future. And we're going to talk about one potential replacement momentarily. But, um, you know, the Weislers are the king and queen of stunt casting. And not that I consider necessarily Sarah Borellis going into a show that she wrote stunt casting. But they've figured out a way to keep Chicago running for – you know, Chicago can technically drink now. Um, and and while I'm not saying the waitress is going to have the same two decade run as waitress or as as Chicago, 
I wouldn't put it past them to figure out a way to keep money flowing into this show, especially when you can always count on Sarah Bareilles coming back for a month or two uh, to to add to the coffers. But before we get into who might be replacing either Moraz or Bareilles, first, let's get back to the grosses. And before we get into anything else, yes, Hello Dolly did drop by more than $2 million in the first post-Bet Midler week. But before you get too worried about uh, Scott Rudin deciding to close the show, remember that you don't just look at the at the grosses and how much it differed from last week. Go all the way over to like the fourth thing from the right and realize they only played two shows last week in preparation of Bernadette Peters, Victor Garber at all joining the show. So if these numbers are able to be extrapolated out, you would imagine that Bernadette and Victor, even in this cold winter time, or maybe not so cold since it seems to be unseasonably warm, um, they should be around a million dollars every week. Uh, until the tourists get there, which is pretty much what Donna Murphy did uh, when she was stepping in on a full week basis for Bette Midler. Now, despite their another minuscule red number of like $9,000, Hamilton was still the king of the mountain at $3,096,068, followed by Springsteen on Broadway at $2.4 million, The Lion King at $1.85, Durban Hansen at $1.71, and the aforementioned Waitress all the way up in fifth place. Following in the seven-figure club was Wicked, Aladdin, Come From Away, and the Book of Mormon, with the band's visit less than $6,800 behind that barrier. In its final week on Broadway, Meteor Shower was actually next on the list with $911,462, and it came in, we're going to talk about here in a second, with a pretty high percent of gross potential, so good for them going out on a high note. The Children, MTC's uh, transfer production, continued to bring up the rear at $276,407, followed by our beloved little engine that could the play that goes wrong of course dolly stories by heart and the parisian woman which were all below a half million dollars spongebob square pants man it continued its disappointing slide as it dropped nearly one hundred sixteen thousand dollars to come in at seven hundred sixty four thousand four hundred fifty one now that all the kitties are back in school it's looking like it's going to be tough for this one for a while as we've talked about before james i assume that this is not a cheap show to run um so hopefully they can find a way to keep afloat through the winter months until people are coming back in town as tourists speaking of keeping afloat and i apologize for the natural disaster hurricane pun here but once on this island gained a whole 176 dollars to come in at just under 525,200 dollars. i would imagine that that's probably pretty close to its weekly night. Um, so I'm a little worried about this one as well. Uh, hopefully both shows, which so many people have found such great joy in, have enough in the reserves to keep them going until spring break hits, and that can carry them into the summer months. I've also been pretty impressed, James, about how strong Farinelli and the King has been. It turned in $866,337 last week for 93.4% of its gross potential. The only straight play with a higher margin was Meteor Shower at 94.8. The next closest play in terms of percent of gross potential was Latin history for morons at 63%. So this one is definitely an outlier because unlike meteor shower, there are no huge names. Now, James, I know Mark Rylance is a star to us. He's a nearly a, a God to us. Um, he has also got an Oscar, but I don't consider him like an A-list huge draw outside of our circles necessarily. Do you think that it's just, his presence that's making this show do so well? I don't, I, I I think that it's got such good word of mouth and playgoers, um, you know, they talk 
they talk among themselves. They they don't like us musical theater people. (laughs) (laughs) And and when they get a good show, they all come to see, you know, if they build it. They will come. Um, That's that kind of goes back to the the demographic analytics that the Broadway League released earlier this year, where musical theater people who go to Broadway to see musical theater, they maybe see two a year on average, while playgoers see anywhere from six to seven, I believe the number was. So that does make sense that when they there, it might not be as large of a group, but they don't miss as many. So like most playgoers will go and see a lot, a good percentage of the plays that happen on Broadway every year. And when you do have a theater star luminary like Mark Rylance, it definitely is something to uh, to, to kind of yeah, – it's a must-see thing for the season. So let's go through the uh, Broadway list right now. A Bronx Tale, Aladdin, Anastasia, Beautiful, Chicago, Come From Away, Dear Evan Hansen, Farinelli. It's the first play. Hamilton, Hello, Dolly, John Lithgow hated it kinky boots (laughs) latin history for morons is you know not a traditional play meteor shower closed isn't it closed yeah Yeah, it's closed on sunday Uh, it's still on ibdb uh but that was a play but it was a comedy once on this island school of rock spongebob springsteen the band's visit which is sort of a play it's musical. a it's a musical yeah, it's, it's a, a musical. musical book of mormon the children lion king parisian woman phantom of the opera the play that goes wrong waitress wicked uh waitress and wicked so there's only a handful of choices there for serious playgoers to go see a show so I think that Farinelli is uh, is mopping it up there because yeah. of just a, a vacuum in the market. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, up in the show and casting news, what do we have? Okay, here's the thing I mentioned earlier about Waitress, and I'm just connecting dots, so this is not necessarily – I'm not reporting mm-hmm. anything on this. I'm not making anything official, but – Over the weekend, erstwhile Karen Cartwright was involved in an Instagram post with a friend whose uh, Instagram handle is Tom Crown One. And they were saying goodbye. They did a little showy kiss on, you know, kiss, whatever. And and he says she said something like, oh, well, it's nice to see you. I'll see you later. And he said, well, I'll be seeing you on Broadway in a few weeks. He said, I don't even know what show it is. And she said, oh, right. Sure, you don't. So a lot of people are starting to wonder if. Catherine McPhee will be making her Broadway do here, debut here in the next mm. few weeks or month. If you, of course, remember, she started on American Idol uh, and then she went on to do some recording and then she landed the lead as Karen Cartwright on Smash. Wasn't necessarily beloved by the musical theater community um, as she was pitted against our very own Ivy Lynn, Megan Hilty. Um, she wasn't the best actress in the world, but Smash wasn't exactly the best written show either, although I watched every episode and loved it. She is now on CBS's crime drama Scorpion. And if she's going to be making her Broadway de- debut in the next few weeks, we know Sarah Bareilles is leaving Waitress again here in a month or so. Like I said, the Weislers are not afraid of getting a star casting out of the ordinary. I saw Jerry Springer in Chicago um, and they they cast Heisman Trophy winner Eddie George in Chicago. So they're not I mean, this is this is nothing compared to them for stunt casting. And I really do think that it would actually be a role that would fit her vocally and hopefully give her enough juicy material to sink her teeth into and, and get some good acting out of it as well. So I think that's the odds on favorite. I mean, maybe she could be going into Chicago, too. I could see that. Um, but I, I would be shocked if it's not 
heading over to the diner. Hmm. So uh, the Atlantic adds four performances to Hangman. Yeah, James, the Atlantic Theater Company brought over the uh, Olivier Award-winning Royal Court Theater production of Hangman, and it pretty much sold out right away last week. So what they did this week was they decided to add four performances to the playing schedule, one on Monday, March 5th, one on March 6th, and then two on Wednesday, March 7th. Tickets for this show, written by Golden Globe winner Martin McDonough, will go on sale this Wednesday at 12 p.m. New York time. I would definitely recommend getting them soon because those things went I, they, I think they were sold out in a matter of minutes, if not an hour or so. Um, of course, if you're in the area and you like cool writers, I would definitely see this one because it does star the indubitable Maxwell Caulfield. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Dan Loria to lead the Stone Witch off Broadway. Yeah, this is a, another off Broadway show. Yesterday, producers announced that uh, I don't know that he was a beloved TV dad, but kind of he was a little rough on Wonder Years. You know, that's something that us old people remember the, the kids, the Utes out there don't remember him uh, on, on Wonder Years, but he will be returning to the theater where he's made his uh, a pretty strong career since his TV days. The show The Stone Witch, which is by Shim Bitterman, will begin performances on Monday, March 12th, with an opening scheduled for the 25th of that month over at the West Side Theater. It's directed by Steve Zuckerman, and according to the press notes, extraordinary art must be tamed. Simon Grinberg is the world's most illustrious children's book writer and illustrator, but his next masterpiece is a decade overdue. Peter Chandler is a starving artist with unparalleled potential, but he doesn't yet know his own value. So this is uh, another show that I think will be, like you said, James, this will be one that um, people who like going and seeing plays who are more play people than musical people will probably put this one on their lists because there just aren't a ton of options when it comes to Broadway. And I always like seeing you know, the, 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 the things done by Roundabout and and Lincoln Center that are an MTC and MCC that are off Broadway, but they're fairly big houses like those are fun. And I and I love those. Um, but these ones in these little intimate spaces, especially when you can see someone like Dan Loria, who's such a great talent. I, I think the, those are really fun. And uh, and I hope that a lot of people go out and see this one. And it's as good as everybody would hope. All right. Our good friend Howard Sherman writes uh, about why our town is still important today. Yeah, over in American, the American next edition of American Theater or on americantheater.org, Howard has this uh, really poignant and interesting article about how communities around the world are dealing with these uncertain, volatile times in our news and in our politics and in our interactions just amongst people by turning to Thornton Wilder's our town. Now, this is the 80th anniversary of the show, and it, it really has kind of taken on a life of its own in the last six months to a year. He mentions um, the Manchester's Royal Exchange Theater, who turned to this show after the horrific terrorist attack at the Ariana Grande concert there last year. Talks about the fact, as we've discussed, um, Scarlett Johansson rounded up her Avengers castmates to do a one-night reading of Our Town to benefit the um, Hurricane Ravage island of puerto rico there are also interesting productions of this show around the country one in maryland one in florida and one in california these shows respectively use puppetry one uses a multilingual approach with english spanish and creole and then one is doing it with american sign language and howard's article kind of talks about the 
restorative and the the therapeutic nature of this show. And if you listen to some like it pop, this is in my top five of favorite plays of all time. It, it might even been higher than five. It might have been, you know, two or three. But I really, really love this show. And one, one thing I love about it is, is that it can apply to so many different things depending on how the director chooses to approach it. And it sounds like people are really using it to pinpoint specific issues in the given communities that they're in. Um, it's a great article. And, and Howard's got some great pictures of some things and has some great a- analysis. But um, I will be up for any inventive uh, production of, of our town that I can get to. I think I might have even talked about it on here, but I went and saw a production of it that was kind of done like a radio play. It had a Foley artist and everything. It's really, really great. So I, I love our town and I love this, especially on the 80th anniversary of its publication. You know about my obsession with the West Wing, right? Yo, yes, I, I, you mention it at least once a week on this show. Yeah, so uh, I was uh, reading a, a piece where there's little Easter eggs all throughout uh, many different episodes of the West Wings that are homages to our town. Uh, oh, so wow. It's a, a number of uh, references in the West Wing, the television show uh, with Martin Sheen that uh, had uh, Alice and Janney and various other uh who's that sorkin guy that sorkin guy Aaron, he's gonna Aaron catch sorkin. on he's gonna catch yeah. on there were also quite a bit of references in there to gilbert and sullivan shows yes. because uh aaron sorkin did go to yale i believe uh don't quote me on that went to yale as a musical theater major hmm so uh yeah tons of gilbert and sullivan in in fact uh a, a few episodes named after uh gilbert and sullivan mm-hmm. uh, musical references all right why don't you get us out of here all right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWMAT, and subscribe to Something Got Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us, and Matt and I will be back to help you through Wednesday. Wednesday.